The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Well, good morning. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me just add my welcome to Brian's. We are really glad to have you with us this morning, especially if you're visiting. Special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us this morning. We are continuing our study in the Ten Commandments this morning, and we've been saying this every week, but I just want to remind us of the context in which Israel receives these commandments. These commandments were not given to them as a checklist to complete so that they would be saved. That's not what they were. It wasn't boxes to be checked, to be rescued from slavery in Egypt. No, remember the order. God saved them from slavery in Egypt, and then he gave them the commandments. These commandments are given to the people of Israel to help them stay free. So much of the call of the commandments is don't go back. Don't go back into slavery. And I actually think in this commandment, we see one of the clearest contrasts between the life of slavery that Israel had in Egypt and the life of freedom that God is calling them to as his people. Because in Egypt, they were slaves. In Egypt, they worked without breaks. And God reminds them that he has created them for a different rhythm. They were not created to be slaves. That's not how they were made to work. He has created them for a rhythm that involves stopping from their work, resting, and glorying in the goodness of God and his provision for them. 
It was really fascinating this week to study for the sermon because obviously, as a pastor, I work on Sundays. I'm working right now and doing a great job at it, they said. <laughs> right? So I, as I was studying this week and thinking about this commandment, I kept thinking, okay, well, well, what do I do with this commandment? What do I do with this? And that's really, of course, the question we all have, isn't it? Okay, but what do we do? What do we do? And there's an inherent irony in that question, isn't there? Because the commandment is, at least in part, stop the doing. Stop the doing. And we can't get out of the gate on it because we're like, okay, but how do I do that? How do I do it? I think the anxiety and angst we feel about this commandment is part of why we so desperately need it. Because at the heart of this command, God is saying, trust me. I have you. Trust me. I have you. You can see our outline there in your bulletin. The fourth commandment brings us into a new way of thinking about time, a changed perspective on worship, work, and rest, and then a deepening understanding of our past, present, and future. So as we prepare to go to the Lord's table, that's how we'll try and navigate the text together. Let me pause and pray, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time in His Word together. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is no empty word. It is no vain word. It is our very life. It is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And we know we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. So would you feed us this morning? Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, one of the books that our children love for us to read is called Little P. I think I've talked about this book before. This book is about a little English P whose parents tell him that he has to eat his dinner before he can have his dessert. And the great comedic twist of Little P is that when you are a P, the dessert you long for is spinach, which raises like all kind of interesting questions about like vegetable cannibalism, but Neither here nor there. Why, why are the peas sentient but the spinach are not? I don't know. That never is addressed. But either way, that's the dessert that little pea wants. And the dinner that you have to eat when you're a pea, the thing you have to struggle through to get your dessert is candy. That's what you have to eat when you're a little pea. And so little pea asks, oh, how many pieces do I have to eat? Five pieces, the parents say. And little pea whines and says, yuck after every single bite of candy. And our children think this is hilarious because who would ever have to be commanded to eat candy? Who would ever ask how many pieces they have to eat? That's crazy. If you get the green light, you just shovel it in, right, until someone wakes up and pulls the plug. Who would ever have to be made to do that? I know that many of us are tired. You ever hear somebody say that? How are you doing? I'm tired. We say that a lot, don't we? We're overextended. We are overworked. 
We spend our lives at work and in meetings and at social events and practices and ball games and then to church and then errands and then bed and then get up, wash, rinse, repeat, do it all over again. We long for a nap, don't we? We dream about vacation. We long to be more rested. We long for deeper relationships with family and with friends and, of course, with our God. And yet, when the offer is put on the table, you could have it. You can have a whole day, every week. Turn on Do Not Disturb, don't respond to the emails, no meetings, no practices, no ball games. You can just go to church, eat with your people, take a nap, read a book, go on a walk. When that is put on the table, how do we respond? If your heart is like mine, how we respond is like little P. Okay, how many pieces of that do I have to do? How many pieces of that do I have to do? Or maybe your mind goes in another direction that mine also goes. This is completely unrealistic. Do you think that as we were reading, as we were confessing what we believe about the commandment today? This is completely unrealistic. It's not possible. Maybe 500 years ago, but not now. I mean, the email messages, the Slack messages don't stop just because it's Sunday. They're not going to change the travel ball schedule just because it's Sunday. What choice do we have? What do you call it when you don't have a choice? When you have no freedom? Sounds kind of like slavery, doesn't it? In our circles, when anyone starts talking about Sabbath, some of us just immediately break out in hives because all we hear is restriction. And we are on like high alert for that because it messes with our sense of freedom. But let me just ask us when you look at your calendar, how you and your family spend your days and hours, is freedom the word that you would use to describe that? I mean, we may be able to recognize that these are all free choices, right? We live in a free country. We're grown-ups making free decisions about how we spend our time. No one's got a gun to our head. But do you feel free? Do you? You may look at the command to spend one whole day resting and worshiping as a burdensome loss of freedom. What I want to invite us to consider is that it is possible we have already lost our freedom to an inhumane world and culture that does not have our best interests at heart. The difference is that this command comes from a God who made us, who designed us. As the children's catechism reminds us, why ought we to obey God's law? Because he made me and takes care of me. He knows us. He cares for us. And he gives us this command that we might actually be free. So I want us to look at it together briefly. We're going to go to the Lord's table later, so we won't get to spend as much time here, perhaps as uh, at least I would like, to think through all the details. But we'll look at it briefly together, because I want us to consider the reorientation this commandment is offering us to time, to work, to rest, to worship, to all of it. So let's look first of all at verses 12 through 14, this new way of thinking about time. 
Because that's where this first this commandment brings us into is a reorientation to how we think about our time. We often think about time as our own. But verses 12 and 14 through 14 make it clear that God is the one who structures our days. He's the one who's given structure to it. He institutes this pattern of six and one. Six days to work, one to rest, Godward. I'm going to come back to what I mean by that in just a minute, to rest Godward. But it's interesting to note that this pattern is not established here. This isn't the first place that this appears in the Old Testament. It's actually established all the way back on the first pages of the Bible in creation itself. We learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that God worked out creation in six days. And then the first couple of verses of chapter 2 say this, Thus the heavens and the earth were created, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So this commandment is actually anchored in creation. We rest because God rests. As creatures made in his image, we're supposed to follow his pattern. And so in the Old Testament, the Jewish people celebrated the Sabbath on Saturday, on the last day of the week. After Jesus rose from the dead in the book of Acts, we see the early church gathering on what they call the Lord's Day. And they called it that because it was the day, it was Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This day was his day, and we see pretty quickly in church history the transition happening to where people begin to honor all the pattern that they had for the Sabbath on Saturday now moves to that first day of the week. And so in our tradition, the day is moved from Saturday to Sunday. But the pattern has remained. One day in seven to rest from our work and to worship our God. And so God gives us direction, a reorientation on how we approach time. It's not simply our own. He's given structure to it directions. And we see those directions kind of listed out in the commandment as our perspectives are changed on worship, work, and rest. Let's look first of all at worship. Notice that verse 12 says Israel is to keep the Sabbath day holy. In the Old Testament, holy carried this notion of, of set apart, particularly devoted to God. And so certain instruments in the tabernacle were holy. They were set apart for God's worship. You might think of your fine china, right? The china that only gets pulled out on special occasions. It's set apart from your everyday dinnerware. This day was to be like that. This day was to be set apart from the other days. And it was to be set apart for a specific person, the Lord. Verse 14 says it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Earlier I used the language of resting Godward. Because the word Sabbath literally means just to cease, to stop. But here it is described as a ceasing to God. In other words, it's not simply a break for a break's sake. It's an invitation to stop and turn towards Him in a way that all the business of our life on other days does not allow. This commandment calls us into a weekly rhythm that reminds us God made me and takes care of me. So it changes our view on worship, but it also changes our view on work. Don't miss that, that before God calls them to rest, look back at verse 13. What does he call them to do first? 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. This is often missed in our discussions about the Sabbath. God also commands them to work. We can often talk about work as if it is a curse, that work is a result of the fall. But that's actually not the way the Bible talks about vocation and labor. Because it's not something that appears after Genesis 3, after the fall. Work is in the earliest part of Genesis. It's given to Adam and Eve to do before the serpent breaks in and they eat the forbidden fruit. Now, obviously, work has been affected by the fall. I don't even think I have to illustrate that, do I? That it's frustrating. Adam's told that the ground is going to grow thorns. He's going to get things by the sweat of his brow. But work itself is not a result of the fall. It's something we were made to do. But I don't think there's any question that it has been corrupted. It's easy enough to see the corruption of work and how frustrating it is, yes. But one of the other ways it has become corrupted is that it it has become the vehicle of meaning and purpose in our lives. Work is not something you simply do. It is who you are. If someone was to ask you just to say, hey, tell me about yourself. How long would it take you to get to what you do for work? For most of us, it would be the first thing out of our mouths. This is what we do and who we are. And I think the problem is it cannot carry the weight that we are putting on it. This commandment is calling us into a weekly rhythm to stop, to cease from our work, to remind us what you do is not who you are. It is not the sum total of who you are. It is significant. It's important. It cannot carry that weight. This commandment also finally reorients our view on rest. Look back at verse 14 with me and look and just notice all of the people that are listed here. This commandment is a little bit longer. You may have noticed that as it was being read this morning and as we were reading the the responsive affirmation about what we believe. It's a little bit longer than all the others and the reason is because God insists on listing out in great detail everyone to whom this commandment applies. The gift of stopping from work is to be for everyone and everything. Do you notice the animals got listed in there? God reminds them in verse 15 that they were slaves in Egypt. He says, that's how they worked you. That is not how we work one another. That is not how we treat one another. Don't do that to your own people. Israel was to order their communal life in such a way that their rest did not come on the backs of their own people. But they were also to order their lives in such a way that they recognized that they were a community. They were a people. They were not merely isolated individuals. How one of them lived their lives affected the others. I was talking to one of my friends recently who is lamenting that his oldest child has reached the age where discussions are beginning among their friend group and among the parents of this friend group. Is it time for them to get a smartphone or not? And he was just grieving that. He's like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to have this discussion. But one of the things that struck me as he was talking about this is that he and his wife were calling all of their kids' friends' parents and asking them, are you getting your kid one? Like, do you know when you're going to do it? 
And what he said was really interesting to me. He said, we knew as soon as one in the friend group got it, every other domino would fall. Isn't that true? Don't you feel that? Like when, so, when someone makes the decision to go that direction, not just on that issue, but on so many others, when someone in our community makes that shift, it affects all of us. Now you have to explain to your kid why they can't get one. You have to carry that burden. These decisions are not made in isolation. I think that intuition is right. Our decisions don't just affect us. We don't want to go too far here, right? We're all our own people. We're all responsible for our own decisions. We're people, not sheep. Although it is interesting how often the Bible talks about us as sheep, isn't it? (laughs) We're responsible for our own decisions, but there's no doubt that the decisions we make affect one another. As we talk about the Sabbath and keeping it, you may think how you obey this commandment is a personal decision. Nobody else's business. But that is to deny the reality of life in community. Our lives are more connected than that. When you don't stop working and you never rest, it affects other people. When you make no time to come and delight in the Lord your God, it affects the people around you. We are not getting the best you. If you are are burning the candles at both ends, we're not getting the you that God created you to be. It affects us. Our lives are connected. Before we turn just to the final point, I know this has left many practical questions unanswered, right? So can I watch football or can I not watch football? Not going there. Not Not falling into that trap. But let me just leave us with a couple of thoughts. I know you're, you're, you're just sitting there thinking, Will, you have been a wonderful tour guide on this guilt trip. Thank you for that. What do we do? What's the takeaway? Let me give us a place to start. A few questions to reflect on individually, maybe with your family, maybe with a small group. What would it look like for us once a week to have a fine china kind of day? What would it look like for us once a week to carve out the space? What do we need to put down to pick up the gift of the Sabbath? The gift that God is giving you. What would it take for this day to look different in some way? That it would be aimed in a Godward direction? Because it is a gift. Look at the rationale they're given in verse 15 for why they need to keep this commandment. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out. We are not slaves anymore. We're about to go to the Lord's table together. It is a visible, tactile reminder that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free. That redemption has changed us. And it should change the way we order our days. This commandment was always pointing God's people to this reality. You can trust me. I will provide for you. You don't have to work your hands to the bone all day, every day, seven days a week. I will provide for you. And so one day a week we stop and reorient ourselves towards God. 
We stop hustling every last second because it is not all on us. He will give us daily bread. But this day is also a day to remember that He provides our salvation. That you are not left to save yourself, to work your way into heaven, into God's family. God provides a way. Love the way our own Kelly Capick phrased this in his book, You're Only Human. He's talking about the Sabbath here. He says, contradicting our temptation to imagine that God's love for us depends on our productivity. One day a week, he says, stop. Look up. Look around. Lift your heart. Delight and rest. Lift your heart. Some of you may have come from traditions, we use it in our tradition too, where you use the sursum corda. It's a piece of liturgy. It goes like this. You probably know the way you're supposed to respond. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. God is offering us a day to lift our hearts. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has provided everything we need. So will you take it? Will you rest and worship the Lord in gladness because you are not a slave to your sin anymore? Your God's holding it out as a gift to you this morning. What do you need to put down to to be able to receive it? Let me pray for us as we prepare to go to the table. Father, we praise you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift, most of all, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, too, for the gift of this day of rest and gladness. Lord, would you help us to receive it as you intended, a day of delight, not a day of drudgery, not a day of hard-hearted obedience, and to tick off every possible box, but a day of joy, a good day. Lord, would you help us to set it apart? Would you begin to work in our community to make this the kind of place that delights in the God who never sleeps that we might sleep? Jesus, would you help us to come to you, the one who promised to give us rest? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.